This is Security Now, episode 15, for Thanksgiving Day, November 24th, 2005, part two of our continuing series on virtual private networks. Steve Gibson, and a very good afternoon and a happy Thanksgiving to you. Yeah, thank you. We're actually doing this the day before Thanksgiving. Are you going to do Thanksgiving? Do you do Thanksgiving? Oh, yeah. I've got uh, plans down here with some friends Great. to Great. To, uh, to hang out and, and relax a little bit. My mom's in town. We're going to have a big Thanksgiving. And I'm supposed to be making stuffing right now. But no, I'm making a podcast. <laughs> Security now is more important than stuffing. Last week, we talked about VPNs, virtual private networks. And we did the theory of VPNs. In fact, I got a number of emails saying, quick, get to the practice. <laughs> what do you do with them? Yep. So, shall we recap last week? Yeah, I also want to mention a little bit on the on on the continuing saga of Sony. Um, the news is now the Attorney General of Texas has filed suit against Sony. Good. The EFF, who were considering filing suit, that is the Electronic Frontier Foundation, have filed suit, um, and there are reportedly six class action suits also now pending. Wow. And uh, what, what I thought very interesting, the Recording Industry Association of America uh, said, no, no, that was, you know, uh, Corey Sherman, who's the, C- the uh, CEO of the RIAA. Yeah, defended this. Yeah, defended it. He said, no, no, no. The, the only issue was uh, there was a security flaw, but they were just doing copy protection. No, no big deal. We're, we, we plan to keep doing this. You know, it wasn't perfect, but they. But he said he said Sony did a good job of of making up for it of uh, the, the recall, and he said they're doing the right thing, and you know, no problem. What's the problem on, here? Um, uh, on Twit on Sunday, uh, I mischaracterized some email that I received from Amazon that I wanted to just fix because I'd read a bunch of BBS postings and various blogs and things after receiving this email, and. And I, I made a comment that they were saying that Amazon sent me email saying that the CD was defective. Yeah. Um, actually, when I went back, I thought, oh, I really need to make this clear. That I got email from Amazon because I purchased a CD specifically with the Sony DRM rootkit stuff on it in order to experiment with it myself. Um, they followed up, and I thought it was I was very impressed actually that Amazon did this and said uh, th- their email reads the Sony CDs listed above contain XCP Digital Rights Management DRM software. Due to security concerns raised about the use of CDs containing this software on PCs, Sony has recalled these CDs and has asked Amazon.com to remove all unsold CDs with XCP software from our store. Since you purchased this CD from Amazon.com, you may return it to us for a full refund, regardless of whether the CD is opened or unopened. Just visit blah, blah, blah. Thanks for your understanding. We hope to see you again at Amazon.com. That's actually a very good explanation, I think. Yeah, it was very clear and very thorough. And, And anybody who isn't in the loop on this would have received email like this if they had purchased one of these CDs and and you know in that fashion be brought up to speed at least to some degree it's like oh wow you know now what do i do yeah i think that's fair to both sides and an accurate description of it and i hope other retailers maybe kind of take a page from amazon's book because uh, of course the recall is is uh, global 
Well, of course, Amazon has the advantage of being able to look at their database of everyone who purchased the CDs in question and send them retroactive email. You know, if you buy something from the Good Guys or Best Buy or Fry's or wherever, there's no way for the re for other retailers, you know, physical right. retailers, to get a hold of you. So if you've got one, bring it back, and yeah. they're supposed to take it back. Um, the I other believe. thing I wanted to mention before we continue with VPNs is I've gotten a lot of great feedback from people who are loving the little passwords page that I created. I've been so bogged down with VPN research for this podcast that I haven't been able to finish the page. Although it's fully functional, I'm, I'm adding application notes to the bottom. So I just wanted to remind people about if you just put in grc.com slash passwords, um, you get a page which generates really high security passwords for whatever purpose you have. All right, and that's uh, free and available uh, for anybody who wants to use it. And it's that 63 or 64 character password that uh, Steve recommends for people who are using uh, uh, WPA on a wireless network. Right. Well, and uh, even, for example, VPN shared keys. Oh, you could use it for that, too. Sure. Or, yeah. or yeah, I mean, just sort anything of anything you need a 64 any purpose yeah. or take what you need and <laughs> leave the other. Well, yeah, in well. fact, the, 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 pa the passwords are what's called maximum entr entropy passwords, meaning that at any point, the next character is equally random is e is equally probable to be anything within the alphabet, which means that shorter chunks of those passwords are just as good, that is in terms of like just as random as the whole thing. So if you've got something that like only allows you, for example, I have a router that only accepts a 49 character uh, pre-shared key for VPN setup. It's like, okay, you know, you give it as much as it'll take. Uh, a number of people sent me uh, notes with other password generators. There are lots of programs out there. In fact, OS X includes in its keychain application a uh, random password generator. And I'm sure they implemented it well, although one, the problem is one doesn't know. Right. Uh, and and Steve's, you know, Steve's taken great care to make sure this is really random. Well, I, um, you know, it only displays itself over a secured connection, and the page is post-dated in 1999 so that no proxy will hold on to it, thinking that it might still be good and, and serve it to somebody else. So I did what's possible in terms of, you know, preventing anyone else from ever seeing the passwords that the page provides. If, if you are creating a password in OS X, open the Keychain Access application, press the plus button, and you'll see next to the password, there's a little key. You can press that, and that gives you the password assistant. And, Steve, you'll like this. They give you a variety of different choices. Memorable, letters and numbers, numbers only, random, and FIPS 181 compliant. I presume that that's some sort of uh, high-quality standard. standard. Yeah. And they Fair have enough. a little slider for length, and they even give you a little bar that shows you the quality. So I think that this is probably a pretty, I mean, pretty good one, although... It only goes up to 31 letters, so you'd have to double it up if you wanted to use 64. Isn't that strange? Yeah, do it twice. I don't know where they got 31 from, but that's the maximum number. So uh, last week, Steve, we established uh, that um, if you are, you know, for home use, you want to turn on WPA encryption, and that's going to give you a safe connection with your wireless network at home. And we also raised this specter of this problem when you go out and you're using a hotel or a hotspot that doesn't have any encryption, it is of necessity open, uh, that everything you do is now suddenly back in the open and, and, and insecure. 
Uh, and we talked a little bit about VPNs as one way to secure this. Can we let's just uh, go back a little bit and, and, and explain the issue and, and why VPNs are helpful? Great. Um, first, I'll, I'll mention relative to WPA, there have been a lot of questions, great questions that people have sent, which we'll be addressing in next week's Divisible by Four Security Now podcast number 16, which will be our, our Q&A right. episode. Right. Okay. Okay. So, so hold your questions till next week. Actually, send them, but we'll answer them next week. Okay. Right. Um, but now we're so, on the road. Our WPA is not helping us at all because I'm, exactly. I'm using the Holiday Inn, and it's got an open access port. Now what do I do? Exactly. So, so the idea is in a network where you have control, we've really covered clearly the issues of securing your own environment. The question now is, what happens when you're out on the road? You're in a hotel. We, we know from, from empirical evidence that about half of the hotels use a hub rather than a switch because hubs are a lot cheaper and the hotel doesn't care in order to to network all of the rooms a hub means that somebody in any room in the hotel running a packet sniffer is going to see all the traffic from all the hotel guests using their broadband solution so actually i misspoke it's not just wireless it's wired connections in the hotel too yes every connection and the problem of course is that typical email protocols are are in the clear not only for the login but for the text of the email so when you go to hotel and i mean most people what they're doing is they're checking their email they're wanting to make sure you know that they're staying current with any email that that they've that they've had come in it's over um pop or imap you know port 110 or they're, they're they're sending out through smtp on port 25 anybody sniffing that will see their their username their login their password and the contents of their mail so and of course the same is true if you're in an open wi-fi hotspot where you're you're taking advantage of somebody's kindness to use their open wireless again as we know that means there's no encryption so and, unless you think this is oh well this is only a temporary thing if once they get your email password and login they can get it from now on until you change it so that you know you could go home and they're still reading your email until you change your password and i mean some people might think well that's not a big deal but i mean you, you can be uh, any cookies that are sent back and forth will allow someone for example to to uh, impersonate your automatic logon onto Amazon or eBay, Ooh, good which, point. Is, which is cookie-based. Right. So you, they don't even need your username and password because, as we know, uh, when you come back to Amazon or back to eBay or one of these sites that uses persistent cookies to identify you, they just say, hi there, Steve. Right. Um, you know, Click here if you're not Steve. The, the, they do that by using a cookie, which is in the clear, not over a secure connection. So this allows somebody else to impersonate you. I guess my point is, this is really a serious security issue Mm -hmm. using non-encrypted communications in a public setting where where, where there's one way or another for your traffic to be sniffed, either in a a network with a hub or wireless, which is inherently sniffing. Okay, so we now see the problem, and, and, and we all are exposed to this. I mean, I do this all the time. Um, how do I, how do I secure my traffic? Well, what what are the options open to me? Um, 
certainly there are there are some protocols like um, like we talk about HTTP as opposed to HTTPS. With HTTPS, the S stands for secure. That creates a what's called an SSL tunnel. When you connect to the server, there's a secure negotiation which occurs, and essentially any traffic that then travels over that connection is encrypted. It only carries the normal web traffic, but it, for example, it's the way e-commerce is able to accept your um, personal credentials, um, credit card numbers, and so forth without that being a security risk. Okay. So, that, so that's good. And, and yeah, exactly. And for example, there are some email systems that, where you're able to use a, a similar an SSL connection for email. The problem is those are protocol specific. They're only for specific applications that you're running, which are sort of preset to operate in a secure fashion. Well, so, in general, if we step back from from those examples for a second. What they have in common is this establishment of a secure tunnel. We started talking about this last week, the idea being that, that a connection is established between two points. Then any traffic which you're sending back and forth is encrypted and then placed in a packet which is sent to the other end. It is expecting this, so it takes the wrapper off of that and then decrypts the traffic in order to get what it was that you originally sent. Essentially it means that anybody sniffing your traffic and even someone who was able to intercept your traffic, the so-called man in the middle, would be thwarted and would not be able to in any way gain access to the content of what you were sending. I mean it's the perfect solution for this kind of um, mobile use of of an otherwise insecure environment in a secure fashion. I wish we could do it all the time. Well, that's really the goal, and we're going to, over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about strategies and approaches, um, and I've sort of set myself a holy grail. I know where I want to get, um, but there's, there's a lot of history here that I want to talk about because there are sort of halfway measures and other solutions that are useful, too. All right. So, um, do you want to? What do you? What do you I, I don't want to get you out of order here. So, uh, we want to get that Holy Grail set up at some point. Can we talk about that down the road and talk instead now about the easy stuff? I think we should. One of the one of the the. Yeah, I want to protect people now. You know. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, one, or, or well, or in the meantime, at least make sure people understand what dangers they're facing if they're not protected. Right. Um, one of the oldest approaches is something called SSH tunneling. Mm. Um, SSH stands for secure shell. It it comes from the the Unix world, as does so much of this technology. The idea being that that when you are remotely administering a Unix machine, in the old days you would use Telnet, which is just a, basically it's sort of a, a, a terminal window where you're typing text into the window. As you're typing it, the text is sent to the computer, and it's just like you were sitting in front of it at the console entering those characters. And then the things it would display on the screen, instead it sends back to you, and it's displayed on your remote screen. Yeah, well, I have that capability um, 
on my Mac. I mean, that's that's something I could set up as SSH tunneling, although I've never really got it working exactly. Well, actually, that's Telnet that I was talking about. Oh, Telnet. Okay. Well, tell yeah, that's, that's the insecure SSH. Ex- exactly. Oh, I and, see. And so, okay. And, and it, was, it was the lack of security of Telnet. I get it. Oh, which, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to <laughs> interrupt you. <laughs> it's okay. It's the lack of security of Telnet, which induced people to, to say, okay, we've got a problem here. If I log on to my Unix machine remotely, my my root username and password, for example, are going over the net right. in the clear. Right. So anybody that was sniffing the traffic would be able to get my logon credentials as, as, as God of that remote machine. So they said, okay, we need to come up with a solution. What they came up with is actually an extremely robust solution called Secure Shell, or SSH. The idea is it's very much like what we just discussed with SSL, the secure sockets layer, which is used, for example, with, with e-commerce or any time you're doing HTTPS over your browser, the, the secure shell, SSH, creates an endpoint-to-endpoint tunnel, and at that point, your login, anything after that's connected, is completely encrypted. It is very, very securely encrypted. Now, so I use now, that from now on. I, I, I've been using that for the last couple of years to get into my website once I realized Telnet was insecure. And that, and that works yes. really well. And it's very yes, much it's, like Telnet. You get a terminal session and everything. Well, in fact, it, it's identical. You would not know that you were running over secure connection in any way. Basically, it's transparent. And in fact, transparency is one of the keys of this whole notion of tunneling. The idea being that you could be, you know, in a telnet, in an insecure telnet session, you're typing and you're seeing what you type. The same thing happens with a, an SSH session, except that unbeknownst to you, visibly, Everything that you type looks just like noise, completely, completely scrambled, you know, dust going through the internet to the far end. So that's SSH login versus Telnet. Now, what is SSH tunneling? Well, now that's an interesting sort of, um, I have to say, kludge, because that's really what it is. Um, now, say that somebody wanted a secure connection for traffic which would otherwise not be secure. For example, email. Normal POP account uh, to port 110 is, is username and password and all the contents back and forth of your email is in the, in the clear. Say that you were traveling around and you wanted some way to protect that even though the, that protocol itself is not secure. What you can do is you use what's called an SSH tunnel. And, you know, we're going to be a little techie here. It's, it's, a, it's not something for the faint of heart, but it is a very well-proven and effective approach. The idea is your SSH client running on your computer is able to support this what's called tunneling. You instruct it to listen for connections on an unused port of your own machine, like maybe port 1111, for example. I mean, I'm just making that up. It could be anything from from 1 to 65535, you know, any one of the, the, the local ports. Mm-hmm. So you tell this, this sort of a little server running on your machine to listen for anything connecting on your own local port 
1111. And when that occurs, to, to, to accept the connection and send any traffic after encryption down that SSH connection to a receiving server at the other end, to an SSH server to which you've already connected. So essentially, you've got two connections. You've got the, the secure connection across the Internet from your SSH client to a remote SSH server. And then you've got a second connection but it's, that is not secure, but it's just within your own computer. You tell your email system, rather than connecting to a remote server on port 110, which is the normal POP port remotely, instead you tell it to connect to your own computer, often called the local host, um, and sometimes referred to with an IP address 127.001, you tell it to connect to this local host port 1111. So when you check your email now, your email client connects to a port in your own machine. It has a an insecure dialogue to that port, but everything that it sends into that port gets encrypted and sent across the internet and everything returning encrypted gets decrypted and returned so what this does is essentially it creates a secure connection where there was no protocol security beforehand that's why it's called a tunnel i mean you're essentially establishing a new highway uh, uh, from your computer to the uh, to the uh, to another computer and you just have but the problem with this is you have to tell each client okay don't use 110 anymore you got to use 101 and then when your tunnel's not there it's not 101's not going to work so you have to reconfigure it yeah i mean it it really is it, it it's something that people who are spinning the propellers on top of their heads um are able to get to work but exactly as you said if you were if you were doing this with a laptop when you were traveling you'd have to establish this ssh connection to an ssh server the other thing is you know you'd have to have an ssh server somewhere now if someone were a, a linux or a unix guy they could be running an ssh server at home and then and create an opening through a router or their firewall to allow SSH traffic to come in. The good news is uh, that's not so hard. On Mac, for instance, you can do it very easily with this system preferences. There's a, uh, under the sharing preference pane, uh, you just turn on the SSH um, uh, server. The problem is you have to then open up a hole in your, you have to forward the port through your router for that to work. Right, and we know that... And incoming traffic is going to be a problem. I don't know how you do incoming traffic at all. Uh, well, in fact, it, it, all the traffic coming from the outside would then be routed you through that port. port. Right. You, now, right. that's normally port 22. One of the first things you would do for security is you would want to move that to some other port number because SSH is often attacked as, uh, you know, because yes. it's a well-known port. And while, it's, while it is fairly secure... Uh, there have been holes in it in the past, so you can't. And of course, and and that's the problem that you run into when you're running any server um, on your own network. Right. Uh, so just to, for Apple users, just so they know, in the in the uh, sharing preference pane, you turn on remote login, and that will turn on an SSH server for you, and then you'll have to port forward 
uh, to make it work. But okay, as, but so, it, it, by default, it uses port 22, so I guess that may be not the best advice anyway. So, um, yes, uh, you, you'd, you'd want to tell the server to run on a different port right, if right. you were you know, getting into this that way. Right. But, but returning to the point that you made, when you're out roaming around and you've established this SSH tunnel and you've got this SSH tunneling server on your roaming computer, exactly as you said, you'd have to configure your email client to use a different port than it normally would mm -hmm. in order for this SSH server to intercept it. But not only port, though, but also IP. You're telling it, don't go out to my normal POP server, which is located you know, somewhere on my ISP. Use localhost. Yeah. Yes, connect yeah. to, my, to my own machine, this own machine right here, which has a special SSH server, uh, which is essentially redirecting that port traffic down the tunnel. Mm. Furthermore, <laughs> it would only work, you know, everything we just described solves the problem for a one single protocol. That is, you know, just getting your email um, from your ISP to your computer. If you wanted to send email, now you need to do the same thing for a, for essentially for SMTP, um, run another tunnel on another port, tell your your email client again to send mail to the local host address on this port, and that would need to get intercepted and rerouted similarly. The way people and, usually do this is with a series of scripts. The, the SSH command line is long and abstruse, but once you've got it working, you just run the script and it turns them all on. Well, it, it would create all of your local port services, right. but you'd still then reconfigure. need to reconfigure all right. your clients. Although I suppose if you just made, you know, you always used it, uh, it would be okay. That's a good point. If you always ran in that mode, then there, there, you would just leave it that way all the time. All the time, yeah. I've been always, I've been tempted to do this because I, in fact, do run SSH uh, all the time, and I and I have SSH open so I can log into my computer as a terminal, and I've been tempted to open some to create some tunnels just to see if this works. Um, but so it's free, not easy, but it is free, and it does work, and it, and it's secure, right? Yes, it's it's extremely secure. Um, SSH is or is able to operate with um, very strong certificates using public and, and and private key cryptography. So I mean, it, it's as secure as anything can be. It's okay. a it's a well thought out solid protocol that will definitely allow you to move traffic between two endpoints that nobody can sniff and have access to. Um, so that's SS, not, that's SSH tunneling. That's SSH tunneling. Uh, so are, are there other ways we can do this? Yes. Okay. Shall, shall we talk about those, or do you want to save them for later? <laughs> um, uh, let's talk about SSL solutions. That might be the easiest way to do this. And right. you're already doing SSL. Well, yes. Um, SSL is... Uh, now, that's back to secure sockets, um, much as... Um, uh, web browsers that are running over a secure connection are are tunneling their HTTP traffic through this secure tunnel. Mm -hmm. The real difference with SSL, I think, is that it's got such a strong browser orientation that many solutions are browser-based, which, which hugely simplifies configuration problems. For example, um, uh, does GoToMyPC... Uh, run over an SSL connection? It does. 
Yes. As does Anonymizer. Uh, in fact, any solution that is trying to sell itself to consumers is is likely to use SSL for the simple reason that th- that port, 443, is almost always open. Well, um, You don't have yes, to have any it, router configuration. Well, exactly. Anybody who's going to be using the web needs to be able to switch over to a secure web connection, and that'll be over port 443 and SSL. So it's the same thing you're using when you go to your bank or you buy a book on Amazon or any. That's the same SSL. It's secure. It's HTTPS. Right. Secure yes. socket layer. Okay. Now, the, the, the thing that's interesting about this is that many of these solutions will download an application like a Java applet, which, which, which your local computer knows how to run, and essentially they'll provide the client side for you oh. automatically. Now, that's interesting because well, that, you already sure. have an SSL client, your browser. What you need is an SSL server on your home system. Well, you need a um, uh, when you're using this this some sort of a, a remote system. For example, you go to a library. Mm-hmm. You you log on to go to my PC. What go to my PC does is send you an applet which runs on that browser locally to to be the client side right. of the solution. Right. So. Oh, that's um, so. Uh, let, let me clarify then. Uh, I don't need a, a client to use SSL with my bank. That's built into the browser. Well, the, the, actually, the browser is a simple text client. It's sort of so, a way to think of it. What, so if I want more capabilities, then I may need to download additional software on the client side. Well, or the browser will automatically run Java. Java will do it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so the idea would be that the, the service would provide you with an applet in Java, which any browser knows how to run. So, so just... I put this on my home PC. I log into it with my browser. I will have to open ports to do that, yes? Actually, no, you're not putting anything on your home PC. Oh, I'm not. Uh, your, your, your browser logs into the service, and oh. the browser downloads it just the same way like you, you download Flash or something. I know what the confusion is. I'm still going for this holy grail of me running the server. You're saying I can't run the SSL server I have to use a third-party service to do this. Well, it's a good thing you mentioned that because I found one. Oh. Um, the so normally I would normally I would go through somebody like publicvpn.com or uh, uh, Boingo. There are a lot of places that do this that basically offer an SSL server that I can use. But we, right. we want to do this cheap or free, so we want we don't want to pay a monthly fee. This is that holy grail you're going for. We would like to do it, so we run it on our own home system and surf through our own home connection. Correct. Now. Certainly, there are people for whom go to my PC or or anonymizer pub exactly anonymizer any of these public VPNing services would make sense because they don't have to they don't even have to have a home right I mean they're using right. it wherever they are out roaming around in fact that's better in some ways you don't have to leave a home PC on you don't have to make sure your connection's always up blah blah and you may have a slow connection at home you may not want to use your home connection correct right. Um, for do-it-yourself people, there's something called SSL Explorer, which is a very interesting-looking solution. Uh, it's hosted by SourceForge. If you just put SSL Explorer into Google, it'll take any of our listeners directly there. I'll put that on um, the show notes, too. It's a, it's a SourceForge project, so it's right. free and open source. Okay. Um, what's interesting about it is that they... Essentially, they do what we've been talking about, except that instead of the 
the server end being something that you have to subscribe to and which inherently means you're paying, you know, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 dollars a month, whatever, for the service, you run the server out of your home. Mm. So the idea is um, some machine, whether it's a Linux box or a spare Windows machine or maybe your main Windows machine, it's, it's sitting at home and is the server for you to access remotely. So when you're out and about, um, essentially you connect to your home's IP address and of course there are now, all the routers are supporting dynamic DNS which essentially gives you an, a normal domain name which will track any changes to your home router IP so you don't have to worry about the IP changing and you, not, and you being caught by surprise. Oh, I didn't know that. I'd been yeah, still well, recommending DynDNS.org and some of these other sites. So your route, new routers do this. Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. How, well, so, in, in fact, the way, the way they do it is with DynDNS, oh. but, but their DynDNS clients... They so run the client on the, on the router instead of on your system. Exactly. I see. And so, and so, so the router has the responsibility for it, and when it notices it's, uh, that its address has changed, it will contact DynDNS and say, hey, here's the new IP address for this domain. So... What's wrong with this? This sounds like the Holy Grail right there. This is, sounds like the way to do it. Well, it's close. It's not. I'm. I'm still not happy um, because there's another step that I want to go to. But why, this is, Steve? Uh, why aren't you happy? <laughs> <laughs> um, because it does mean that it's again. It's a little more techy. You need to have a computer dedicated to this, or as you said, on and running all the time on your home network. Right. Um, you're. You need to be able to run a a client side Java applet in a browser. You might it might be that a library has their browsers locked down, for example, so that you're not able to run applets of any kind on mm -hmm. the browser. Although, you know, again, if, if it was for your own use, for you to use in a laptop as you were traveling around, th then you're going to be in good shape. The key is that the connections to it are over SSL. It's extremely easy to configure. There's good documentation about this X SSL Explorer. And for somebody who's interested in experimenting with this kind of solution, I think it's, it's I mean, I'd spent the afternoon uh, reading the docs and taking a look at it. I'm very impressed with what you're able to do. You're able to access your, 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 your files remotely. You're able to run your desktop using the uh, standard remote desktop protocol, which is very efficient. So you're able to, like, essentially operate your home computer as if you were there, very much like GoToMyPC does. That's cool. So S we would run SSL Explorer. It's currently Windows and Linux only. Uh, Mac version uh, as soon as uh, the new Java is available for the Mac, um, and you can do and you can surf the net. You can do everything you want, but well, you have it, to leave this machine on running this software. Yes, it and at, at the client end, it's completely browser agnostic. It just uses Java. Right. So, for for example, you could go to a library. You could use a hotel's um, internet service down off the lobby. Uh, you could use your own laptop and your own browser. Essentially, it allows you to access your home network in a completely secure fashion and do all kinds of things, uh, transfer files, um, map drives, access your, your, um, 
your regular desktop on the computer, um, and it's absolutely free. So that's really why I like it, as opposed to using some sort of a subscription service. So there you have the, the easy, or, or not easy, but there are two ways to do it. Neither of them is the perfect way, but you could do it with SSH tunneling. That's really geeky and hard to set up. On the other hand, pretty transparent once it's working. SSL might be a better way to do it. And if you don't mind paying one of the SSL services like hotspotvpn.com or publicvpn.com or go to my PC or anonymizer might be a good choice. And if you want to save money and do it yourself, SSL Explorer. But none answers Steve's holy grail. The holy grail of... (laughs) Of computing, and what is that? Well, the Holy Grail, and this is where we're going to spend some time in a couple of weeks, so we'll just leave this as a bit of a teaser. The Holy Grail is no software installed on the client machine for any, for, for any version of Windows um, and Linux and probably Mac, although we'll need to see whether Mac supports one of the protocols required. The idea is you have nothing but a residential VPN router um, installed in your home. We've already talked about NAT routers and what, how great they are for security. Mm-hmm. There's, there's an additional feature um, that is now offered by the same residential routers called VPN. That is a virtual private network endpoint. The idea being that that Windows already has VPN technology. Windows 2000 and XP has it, and they have a free download for 98ME and NT4. So the idea would be you use the built-in software in Windows to connect to your VPN router, which means that, um, that that's then a secure connection, and it's all protocols. It's actually, it, it, it'll, it'll run through POP and SMTP and web browsing. Anything you do is running through this virtual private network tunnel to your router at home. Once there, you have access to your home network if you've left any machines on, but even if everything's turned off at home except the router sitting there glowing in the corner by itself, then you're able to use that router to get out to the internet. That's the holy grail. I agree with you. I like this. However, (laughs) it's not that easy. It's a configuration nightmare. (laughs) And we're going to hold that discussion for another episode. Because that alone could take us half an hour. Next week, we'll answer your questions. If you have questions, go to grc.com slash security now dot htm or suggestions we'll just respond our viewer mailbag next week right leo i have hundreds already <laughs> so I don't mean, send any more uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've got plenty uh but that's what we're gonna we are uh, barring a major security issue in the news that's what we're gonna do every fourth episode so yep that's what's coming up next and then in uh, so episode 16 and then in episode 17 we will we hope be able to explain how to set this holy grail up this this VPN router costs around a hundred bucks, easy to set up, and and you're good to go. You're golden. Many people may already have them. If not, they could probably upgrade their router's firmware really? to to get the additional functionality, oh, cool. or maybe sell their old one on eBay and and buy a new shiny one. The beauty is you pay then nobody any money every month. Right, you it's yours and uh, and you run it. And meanwhile, I'm going to try to get SSH tunneling up. <laughs> 
just to show it can be done. Cool. <laughs> maybe I'll maybe I'll have something to risk. Then I I've spent nothing to do that. We'll see if that works. Good luck. All right, Steve. If people want to know more, they should go to the website. You'll have full notes here at grc.com slash securitynow.htm. That's also where you find the written transcripts and the 16-kilobit version of the show. The 64-kilobit full-fidelity version is available uh, via podcast, of course, and uh, you can use your favorite podcast client to get security now. We're on all the different networks and channels and so forth. Or just go to thisweekintech.com and you can find a direct link. That goes through AOL. And we do thank the folks at AOL Radio who put us on their podcast channel and provide the bandwidth for security now at aolmusic.com. Thank you, guys. Before we go, Steve, I just want to mention one thing. And I know anybody who listens to security now is knows uh, enough not to open email attachments. That's kind of the fundamental basics. But just because you will be the go-to per- person for your friends and family, there is a email uh, scam going around, uh, email purporting to be from the FBI or the CIA or the U.S. Postal Service. I'll read you the uh, FBI one. Dear sir or madam, we've logged your IP address on more than 30 illegal websites. Important. Please answer our questions. This list of questions is attached. FBI. And the CIA one says, we can help disinfect. So if you get an email from the FBI or the CIA with an attachment, don't be dumb enough to run it. Of course, it's a phony. Both the CIA and the FBI have announcements on their web pages saying, we don't do that. We don't send out emails. Uh, don't open attachments. You'll get the sober virus. Uh, it's it's uh, going to send itself out to other people and open your system to uh, Trojan access, uh, including probably... Um, uh, spam servers. It'll zombie your computers. So you you know better, gang, because you listen to security now, but tell your friends and family if they get an email from the FBI or the CIA, just delete the email. Yep. Delete the email. Can you... I did receive one of those, by the way. Did you? Yeah. We're all getting them. According to uh, yep. Message Labs, I think there were, uh, the Message Labs has intercepted over 2 million of these. So it's, <sighs> what that tells me is that people are opening it. Yep. <laughs> which is kind of hard to believe in this day and age that somebody would actually buy that. But, you know, it's scary, and you go, it's oh, like, the FBI. It's, oh. Like, it's like the reason we still get spam is that it pays. People, people, people buy things from spam right, ads. You're right, if nobody ever bought anything. Right. All right, Steve, thank you very much. Happy Thanksgiving, and have a, have a, have a good turkey day. We'll talk thank again next week on Security Now. Bye-bye. Security.